So um, a few weeks ago, I shared a message from Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, where Jesus, 4, 18 and 19, where Jesus called the first disciples to follow him. And he said, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And we looked at how in that, God kind of breaks down what it means to be a disciple. He said, first of all, being a disciple means you're somebody who follows me wherever I go, wherever I lead you. And he doesn't always tell us ahead of time because oftentimes we'd say no. <laughs> be like, I'm good. He says, come follow me. And then he said, uh, and, and, but the command was to a group of people. And so we, we see that he actually, he calls us to be in fellowship with believers because he didn't just call them alone. He never calls us alone. He always calls us together and calls us to a people. It's the most unusual thing in scripture when you see a lone person accomplishing something for the, for something great for God. And in the New Testament, it's non-existent. Even Jesus, who could have done it completely by himself because he's God, chose to bring people along with him. In his case, it's a little bit different. He was training other people to do everything because he did it perfectly. He didn't need assistance, but what he wanted to do is train a group of people how to do this because they were going to need each other. They were going to need each other to demonstrate the varied gifts that Christ had in himself. Right? So Christ has all these gifts. It takes a whole body of people to even start to be a dim reflection of the giftings found in Christ. It takes, it takes Miata's worship leading abilities. It takes Reggie's skillful musicianship. It takes, it takes Megan's administration. It takes Andrew's execution and leadership and the membership journey process. And it takes, it takes all of us working together to be, to even be a dim reflection of what it is that Christ is doing. And so we need each other. We need to be fellowshipping with believers and a disciple fishes for men. They don't just hide with other Christians, but they go fishing for men. And this was a change because the Jew, the Jewish church, essentially what they did is it was a come and see model and it was solely a come and see model. It was people will see you the way that you behave with one another, the way that you interact with one another, the way that you serve me and love me and the way that God, and, and God said, the way that I prepare for, uh, that I prepare. <laughs> the way that I protect you and the way that I give to you and, and um, produce things for you, that's going to be a sign of my love for you. And that's going to draw people to the living God. And for the early church, he's like, not only are people going to see the love that you have for one another, but you also have to go and tell. You also have to go out and unlock the chains that are around people's ankles and unlock the chains that are around their hands and set them free. So it wasn't just come and see any longer. It was come and see and go and tell both. And so in this, um, so that's the definition of a disciple. Those are the kind of the three aspects of our life. We have to be following Jesus, relating in community, and introducing people to Jesus. But that gets, that's, gets, gets confusing. And so that's what a disciple is. But so today what I want to do is zoom in on what is discipleship. What is that process? What does that look like? And how do we start that? How do we start that journey? How do we, how do we step into that? And so we're going to look at, uh, second Timothy chapter two verses one through three. So if you could stand to your feet, I would actually love for us to read this together. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier, Jesus. This is God's word to us, Father, in the name of Jesus. Awaken us to the power that is in your name the power in your word to transform us, 
change us, to make us new, and to give us a greater purpose than we ever imagined. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. may be seated. Something I found to be really interesting as I considered what is discipleship and what is is a disciple is that the word disciple isn't used outside of the Gospels. It's not used in, in the book of Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts use the word disciple. So it's not in the epistles. It's not, Paul doesn't ever use this. He doesn't use it when he's talking to Timothy. And I'm convinced that the reason that it's not used is because Paul was less concerned with the word disciple than he was with the function of discipleship. And so while he doesn't use the word disciple, what he does is he iterates over and over and over and illustrates even in his own life and in the life of other people that he's speaking to what discipleship is and how discipleship works through his instruction. Whether you call it building people, growing, developing, it doesn't matter to him. What mattered to him was that the message of the gospel, the one that he was so passionately trying to stomp out, wouldn't be stomped out. But the message of the gospel would thrive from generation to generation to generation. And it would have due impact and influence on the culture and on the lives of the people who lived in that area and across the world at that time. You tracking? I guess not even at that time, but he had generations and generations in mind. He had you and I in mind. It kind of blew my mind as I was thinking about discipleship. I realized that somehow if you drew some really crazy line, if we had really good records, we'd be able to track this moment back to Jesus giving the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Have you ever thought about that? Like let that blow your mind for a second. Jesus told 12 dudes, well 11, go make disciples. He said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you to do. And I'll be with you even to the end. Those, those men went out and started ministering the gospel to everybody. And then that got passed down, and that got passed down, and that got passed down. And here we are. It traces all the way back to Jesus. Outside of maybe a Muslim, which is happening a lot now, where they have a dream of Jesus, where it's just like they, they have a revelation of Jesus that they had never known before. And Jesus introduces himself in dreams. It's happening all the time in the Middle East. People in our every nation family have come to faith in Christ because Jesus showed up to them in a dream. Those people aside, it's because they were faithful to discipleship. Tied to that is this scary thought that if we're not faithful to discipleship, the world will never know. The ends of the earth will never hear. Now, God will use other people, but I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that great purpose. Not out of obligation, not out of, not out of threat of not being included, not out of, not out of some burden, but out of a, the joy of participating in something so far beyond myself, participating so far beyond something that you and I really deserve to be able to participate in. Because of his design. And I think that's an absolutely beautiful invitation and opportunity that we have in discipleship. We're going to look today at what it means in terms of discipleship, how we need to be properly positioned. We're going to look at the, um, we're going to look at properly positioned. I want to do this in the right order. Presenting truth and persevering. Proper position starts by being in Jesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus. Our sufficiency 
in our faith is not in ourselves. It is not a pick yourself up by the bootstraps and make yourself a better person or a better version of yourself. It's trust Jesus to make you completely new. And too often we make our Christian walk about us exerting more effort to be more holy or to be more consecrated. And we make it about our effort to be more pleasing to God instead of recognizing that it's our effort that gets us in trouble in the first place. And what we really need to do is trust and depend on the love, the mercy and the compassion, the gift of God in Christ Jesus to be holy as he's called us to be holy. I can be holy for about a you know, half hour. And then I get a joke and I'm like, that's not right. You know, I think things when I'm preaching and I'm like, nope, can't say that. <laughs> yeah, so I'm worse than you. Judge me. And if you're judging me, you welcome to the club. It's an idea, this, this idea of, of needing Jesus to be it is one that's inherently linked to the doctrine of creation. People have wondered, what what difference does it make if God created everything or not, if it's evolution or if God did it? The difference is design. The difference is intent. If if we were created by God, there is design and there is intent that doesn't exist if we just came to be on our own. Now, I'm not talking about old earth, young earth. I'm not talking about six real days or six eras. Not getting into that right now. I'm just saying... Our belief in our, in, in our need for God is inherently linked to whether or not he created us. Because if, if he didn't create us, then God is an add-on. If he did create us, he's something that we absolutely positively need to be able to function the way that he is designed and intended for us to function. Because he's built into us capacities that, don't, that aren't realized unless he dwells in us the way that he designed him, us to be dwelled in. I plugged my uh, I plugged my phone in last night before I went to bed, and um, and when I woke up this morning, my phone was dead because the wall charger wasn't plugged into the wall. <laughs> I've got this routine, right? I see it, I see it on the counter, and I just I just plug it in. I I only look at one side of it because I assume that it's plugged in, and so most of the time I come back and it's charged because it was correctly connected. But it needed the power that it needed to be plugged in in order to function the way that it's supposed to function. Now, now it would function fine as a, as a paperweight. It would, as an anti-theft device, it'd be fine. Just whop, throw it, right? It makes a great rock when it doesn't have electricity. It makes a great placeholder. You could use it kind of faintly as a mirror. If you polish it real well, like you can kind of get an idea of what you look at in the screen, but it's not going to, it's not going to fulfill the function that it was created for unless it's filled with the power that it was designed to operate on. You tracking? So we need to believe that God has created us with purpose and he built us with intent. And that intent was to be filled with him, to be used for his glory. And God's not going to use us up. His, his desire isn't just to burn us up and use us for it and then leave us to the side. It's to help us grow from glory to glory and to become more like him and to walk more and more and more in his power and authority and freedom that he has for us that we can't experience otherwise. And so we need to be found in Jesus. And then inside of Jesus, we have three layers of relationship that are necessary for discipleship to to occur in our lives the way that God's intended for it to happen. 
And that's, that's right here. We see that my child, this is a different version than we read, but my child. So we see sonship. You see, the, you need to be in the presence of many witnesses and you need to, to, to pour into faithful men. And so what we see is these three different kinds of relationship that we need to have in Jesus if we're going to fulfill this mandate and this call to make disciples and to be disciples. Side note, discipleship by its, but disciple by its, by its nature is someone who also makes disciples. And so if you're, if you're following Jesus and you're chasing after Jesus and trying to grow in Jesus, your growth is going to be incomplete until you start taking on this and this. Until you start enjoying the fellowship of believers and you start pouring into other people what you experience and what you know about God and how you experience the goodness of God in your life will be limited. I'm not saying that you're not going to know him. I'm not saying that you're not going to experience him. But I am saying that you won't experience in the fullness that Christ intends for you to be able to experience him. And so this first point, my child, what I want to do is I want to highlight that what this speaks to is spiritual fatherhood that Paul has provided for Timothy. Now, what's remarkable in Scripture, I just learned this the other day, is that when, when, when the Bible speaks to authorities and to people under authority, in the New Testament especially, it doesn't, give, it doesn't ever command someone to lord their authority over someone. It always tells the person under authority to submit. So it doesn't say, David, go father them. Or like, be their father, make them be your father. Right? It says that we ought to be sons and daughters. And sons and daughters ought to respect. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going to be your father. For some of y'all, Keith Temple is going to be your spiritual father. For some of y'all, it's just somebody who you met a long time ago. And it's somebody who's speaking into your life. What I'm concerned about is the function, not the title. The function is having somebody in your life who can speak authoritatively into your life and help you know when the bridge is out and help you test the revelation that you have when you grow with Jesus. It's the person that you can say, hey, I feel like I heard this from God. Does it sound like God? Not God told me this, so that's what it is. Right? I've got a friend who at their church, they they said, nobody's allowed to talk to the pastors and say, God said. (laughs) Unless they're, unless they're reading a Bible verse. Like that's their, that's their rule, like across the board. Because charismatic, sometimes we get really excited and we're like, God's speaking to me. And we're like, (laughs) well, he said this, he said to buy this house. (laughs) No, he said to marry this man. He said to marry this person. He said to do this. Well, unless God tells that man that he's supposed to marry you, we could just wait. (laughs) Right? As a campus minister, crack me up. People coming to me, I got a word. I'm going to marry this man. Several girls, same word for the same man. (laughs) I'm like, we're confused. You know, you go to the student conference and everybody's so excited and passionate and built in. This Holy Spirit speaking and inspiring things. And there's some real seeds being dropped. And then there's some weeds being sown, you know, and you come back and you're like, what'd y'all hear? And like four out of five of them are like, I'm going to be the president. <laughs> and if that's the case, I fear for our country's future because we're going to lose a lot of presidents. <laughs> right? But maybe what you felt was a sense of destiny, a stirring of purpose in God. And you just assigned to it the highest level of purpose that you could imagine in the moment. But maybe, perhaps, God has a higher purpose for you that maybe isn't being the president. All right, so we need to be in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, we have fathership and sonship. Let me say for father, we need fathers in this world more than ever before. 
I guess our need is the same, but our need is realized more than ever before. We need, because we've always needed fathers, but right now there's a lack of fathers and a lack of men who are skilled to father. A lack of men who are, have the heart to father and to care for and to draw up and to call out purpose and destiny in the lives of young people. And I'm not just talking about for the boys. It's for the girls too. And we have, we have single moms in our, in our family who would, who would love help from, from men of God who love, who, who love well and love right and would pour into their children. They're also, the community has a great need for men of integrity and character to stand up and to father the community. And that's, that's our invitation. And so with the invitation for fathers, there's also an invitation to be sons. And as much as I know that I'm called to be a father to my children and I'm called to be the father of some of the people in this congregation, I know that I'm also a son. My, my dad attends this congregation. I thank you and I'm sorry. (laughs) Right? It, it, it. And so I'm a son to him. I'm also spiritually a son to Pastor Brett Fuller and Pastor Jim Critcher and, and to Keith Temple and to JC. And they've spoken into my life and have challenged me and have called me up and called me out. <laughs> but we need to have that orientation of fatherhood and sonship. And we need those relationships. This word witnesses. We need to be surrounded by witnesses. You heard that you heard uh, Paul say to Timothy, he said, he said that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, this message. Oops. These many witnesses, the word for witnesses here is basically the word with the, the word that we get the word martyr from the people who Timothy heard this message with weren't just people who observed it with him. It wasn't like I, I've got many witnesses saw the Black Panther with me, right? We witnessed it. We watched it. We observed it together. This speaks about testifying in court. Paul is telling Timothy, you've heard this message of the gospel preached and you were with many witnesses, other people who are testifying about the goodness of God, testifying about the love and the power of the resurrection. You need some people in your life who are going to testify about the goodness of God when you can't find it. I remember there was this one day, it was like 15 years ago. This guy came into church. He's like, God is good. And I was like, right. He's like, no, he's good. I was like, yeah, got it. Okay, right. He's good. He's like, no, 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 you don't get it. God is so good. And he started talking about how good God is. And I remember this moment because I had never seen somebody more excited in their life about the goodness of God, even in the midst of difficulty. And he stirred my heart. And I think back to that moment and, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm stirred by that moment. I celebrate that moment. And I carry that with me today. He was, and this man continues to be a witness, someone who testifies about the goodness of God. He's in this room. It was Chris. He, 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 I forgot your, hey. So he came and he's testifying, but we need these witnesses. We need these people who are going to testify about the goodness of God when we can't see it, who can testify about the provision of God when we can't see it. We need people to testify about the power of the resurrection when we can't feel it, when we're blinded by our pain or our hurt or our confusion. We need people who are going to be these witnesses. And it doesn't say just witness. You heard it by, from one person. He's like, there's a, there's a, a group of people, Timothy. 
that you heard this with, that you, that you heard this with. And there's a group of people, Timothy, that, that you are with and that you're going with. And in them, this is going to be your role. You know, uh, thinking, of, thinking of witnesses and, and belonging together, I, I, let me just say that that's one of the hardest things about this Christian life, isn't it? It's scary. It's terrifying. It's this strange dance about wanting to introduce yourself to the person that's been down the road from you every week for the last six months and wanting to get coffee but not wanting to get rejected, wanting to do it but not really wanting to make room for it. Wanting to be known, but not really to be known. You know, we, if you, I mean, make it to Sunday mornings, do everything you can to get here. But at the end of the year, uh, we just, if you're here every week, 52 weeks in a year, that's like a hundred and something hours total together in a year. I mean, the average person spending four hours a day on Netflix Right, so you'll fulfill that in a month. You know, you think about you think about Bible instruction, and, and the sermons are anywhere from thirty to forty-five minutes. And you know, it, it's you know that's thirty hours a year of instruction. And so, but but if this is all that we have for fellowship, if this is all that we have for growing and learning and and being together, then then. It's, it's no wonder we don't experience more of what the Bible talks about we should be experiencing. And I don't say that to condemn. I, I say that to acknowledge it's really, really hard. But sometimes maybe that's why we have such a difficult time experiencing what it is that we really hope to be experiencing. But it's tough. I, being a part, being a satellite to a, to a large church, I, I hear both things. I, people are like... Um, you know, it's hard to get connected because Chantilly is so big. And then I have people say, well, it's hard to get connected because Sterling's, you know, so small. You, you know, like in the same day, I have the same conversation. Big churches are tough because the people are clicky. Small churches are tough because small churches are clicky. Maybe the problem isn't the size of a church, but it's, it's, our, or, it's our heart orientation within the church. Pastor Brett shared last week about us. He shared a story about someone who, um, somebody who came up to him after the greet, after the greet one another was like, hey, I, you told everybody to greet each other and nobody greeted me. <laughs> and he said, well, did you greet anyone? <laughs> because, you know, he went hard. He, <laughs> because if everybody had your attitude, nobody got greeted. Yeah, yeah. Right? Burn. <laughs> <laughs> But the reality is it has nothing to do with the size of the church. I heard this quote from Pastor Gilbert. He's one of our pastors in the Philippines. He says, the degree to which our lives are built together is the degree to which his power is manifested through us. Want me to read that again? The degree to which our lives are built together is the degree to which his power is manifested through us. Oh, and this next point gets me so excited couple things about this part of the verse where it says entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also the word men here is the generic word for mankind so it's people so ladies you're not off the hook men this isn't just for you 
We should all bear the weight and the responsibility of this. All right, this is everybody's work. This is everybody's responsibility. Nobody's off the hook. So it says, entrust the faithful people. And so, so this idea of entrusting it to faithful people, you know, it, you've got to have some vision because it says who will be able to teach others also. So what, it, what it's really what I'm seeing here is that it's not the person who's, who's coming in and ready. Sure, certainly we should teach that person. But it, Paul's like, hey, you better get your faith eyes on because the people who are going to be able to teach others might not look like it yet. The people who are going to be faithful might not look like it yet. They might look like they're faithful, but to all the wrong things. It's the person who faithfully goes out every Thursday night to the clubs. It's the person who faithfully gambles away all their money. It's the person who faithfully goes out to the bar and spends money that they don't have to drink things they shouldn't be drinking. Right? It's the person who's faithfully going the wrong way. At least they're faithful. That's a sign. (laughs) That's a sign. If you see somebody faithfully charging in the other direction, that's all you got to know. They're faithful. (laughs) Eventually they will. So we go and present the truth to these people. It's who will be able to, but you've got to have vision to see in seed form what God sees in full grown form. I'm so grateful that Pastor Brett and Pastor Jim saw in me something that other people couldn't see. I'm so grateful for the opportunity that I've had because they saw in me something that wasn't obvious all the time. Megan was told by someone who were getting married, they, they were like, not a good idea. Not a good idea. You love Jesus. You got a call on your life. That's awesome. And, and this person in love, it was somebody, in, it was a leader. Go, this is why you need a, this is why you need counselors. Counselors, plural, right? They were like, don't do it. He's too silly. And she wasn't wrong. <laughs> But then Daryl Morrison, Pastor Daryl, who's now the pastor of our church plant in, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, he goes, hey, don't miss the guy who's going to be a pastor. Don't miss the guy who's got the call, who it's just kind of, it's kind of crazy. He's got the big awkward feet. He's got the adolescent feet, you know, like the 12-year-old, the, uh, the hobbit feet, you know, and just kind of tripping, tripping over calling and tripping over destiny and tripping over who I'm supposed to be and tripping over all that, right? We were all there tripping over. Some of us are tripping over it now, right? It's like, what are we supposed to be? Who am I supposed to be? I've got this sense of destiny and then I trip and I fall and I'm lost and I'm confused. Well, congratulations. You haven't grown fully into it. You've got a lifetime to do so. Congratulations. And so thank God they saw destiny when other people just saw silly. But it's, but it's, um, so not only is it, not only is it going to take faith to see the people who will be able to, not only do you have to have faith to see who might be the one who's faithful to Christ and currently isn't. I mean, this is Paul writing. The only thing Paul was faithful to before, before his conversion on the road to Damascus was trying to squash out the Christian church. So if you know somebody who's hostile to Christianity, if they're faithfully hostile to Christianity, that's a sign that they might faithfully teach others someday. You tracking? Yeah, that gets me so excited. That makes it so, it makes everybody likely. And so how are we going to know the difference but to talk to everybody? I was, uh, I had the opportunity and, um, to meet some guys uh, in a project for Wheaton. I had to interview some people whose faith wasn't like ours. I think I talked about it here and, and they brought me on their radio show and, and it's a, and, and, and like, not like it was cable access, but they got a blog. And, and so we, we got on and we were talking and he introduced me as pastor David. And I was like, well, I'm not your pastor yet. Right. <laughs> Cause I thought I was funny. And, 
But what I see in him is a man who is so faithfully committed to his thing that he's got a radio show and a website that he devotes his life to. And he devotes his life to the Beltway Atheists of the D.C. metro area. And he's given his life for this thing. And all I see is Paul. That's all I see when I look at him. I'm like, I don't care how much you don't like Jesus. One of the guys on the show pointed out, he's like, we only don't believe in one. He said, we only believe in one less God than you do. And I was like, touche. <laughs> but, but we all know that's a big difference. All I see in him is Paul writing these letters to Timothy. That's all I see. He's faithfully going in a direction that I believe is not best that I believe is absolutely destructive for his life, destructive for our culture. But he's faithful. <laughs> Somebody in the, somebody's really offended by me calling that faithful. I just want to acknowledge that I realize I murdered the intent. But faithful people, and it's people, it's faithful people. It's not just, it's men, it's plural that, that, you know, our job is to pour our lives into other people. It's not just, not just one. Now, I'm not saying you got to go and find five people and start to, you know, discipling five people and start, you know, doing all this work with all these numbers of people. But in a lifetime, there will be people. And we need to be able to start to understand that way that one life represents nations. You know, we talked about that briefly last week, but uh, Jacob and Esau, two children, represented two nations. Rebecca just had one kid in mind, and God had generations and nations in mind. So when you identify this person who is faithful and will be able to teach, and you begin to share with them, what is the message that we share with them? What's your message? What is the truth of the gospel that God has deposited in you that only you can deliver the way that you can deliver it. I'm irrelevant to your coworkers. I'm, I'm irrelevant to your neighbors. They don't know me. I'm a pastor. I'm, if I say it, it's just what I'm supposed to say. If you say it, it's got authority and credibility that only you carry because of the relationship that you have with them. What's the message? What's the transformation that's occurred in your life that you can share with someone that nobody can deny? Now, Oprah famously said, share your truth. Uh, and, and I see what she was aiming at. But that's not, we don't want to share, don't share your truth, share the truth. Because, because what she said, what she said, she was, she was trying to silence white supremacists. The problem is they were sharing their truth. The white supremacists were. And there are some truths that are stupid and need to get shut down and not be spoken. But that doesn't play very well on a, an award show. Yeah. <laughs> share your truth. No, no, no. Let's share the truth. Let's share the truth that is always and forever. Let's share and declare the glory of God and, 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 and share our lives with people and, and, and invite them into their own journey and their own miracle. We don't want to just... Speak any truth. And so I would encourage you to take some time on this question and just start asking, what would I share with someone? Just take some time and think about it. What's the message that God has put in my heart? What's the the message that God has uniquely qualified me to share? I'm not talking about preaching. I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not talking about, you know, getting up and, and 
taking somebody through the, the Bible. What I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, what truth has been deposited in your heart that you can share with the people in your life who already trust you? Presenting the truth includes uh, presenting the truth in love, instructing and in how to walk in that truth, and teaching other people how to teach. And so there's, there's aspects to it. It's not just dropping the truth bomb on them and walking away, but it's, it's sharing the truth, <laughs> pull the pin on the truth, and drop, but stand there and, and, and agree with them through this process and help them understand that what you're describing for your life is possible for theirs as well. I, I want to acknowledge that this too is a scary thing to do. It's a difficult thing to do, and, but, but isn't that why we do a lot of kinds of things is because it's a little bit scary? Isn't that why people jump out of planes? Isn't that why we, we, we try new things is, is for the thrill? And I want to tell you there's no greater thrill than sharing your life and sharing your story with someone for the sake of the gospel. I'm still, I still get nervous about it, but I've never walked away feeling completely foolish, even when I was completely foolish. It is a rush. It is, it's unlike anything else to step out in faith. And I still do it. It's like, I feel like double dutch in a conversation. And, and it's like, oh, this is the, this is, oh, it's going to happen today. Right? We're, we're going to go there because you're sharing these, these, there the, are these trigger phrases that it's like, I'm, I'm experiencing difficulty or I'm sick or my marriage or, or my kids or I'm confused or I'm hurt or I'm sad. These are things that I, you know, you, you hear these things and you're like, oh, here's an opportunity to share something of my life with them. Not just be like, oh, that's really bad for you. It's tough. I, I'll, you know, too bad. It's like, no, no, I've got something for you. I got a deposit because I've, I've been in a similar place and God met me a certain way. And so here we go. Now, here we, and it's like, am I really going to jump in or am I, am I not going to jump in? And, and then, and then the gap opens and you're like, Hey, I had an experience like that one time. I prayed and God met me. You ever done that? You ever had that thrill? It's terrifying and exciting. It's exhilarating. And I invite you into that. It's an adrenaline rush for your, for your faith. And, 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 and when we do that, we experience a facet of God that we'll never know if we don't step out and share that with someone. You're here because somebody did it for you. Somebody else was scared to death to talk to you about God. Think about that for a second. Or your mom or someone was faithful and resilient and persevered with you and told you the truth day after day after day after day after week after week after week after week and insisted that this was the way to go. But if it wasn't your mom, if it wasn't your dad, somebody else built up some courage and came and shared truth with you. And they were also scared to share it. So share the love. Paul says, this last part, you got to persevere. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. There's so much imagery here. The soldier is a powerful image because it's someone who's not just fighting wars, but it's somebody who's prepared to fight the war. The hardship that we experience in this Christian life is, is multifaceted. We're not taken out of this world, so we still experience things like taxes. We still experience things like, <laughs> was that? Oh, dang. <laughs> we still experience things like that and cars break down and people get sick and difficulty comes and bones break and, 
right? All of those things happen. We're not exempt from that. We're in this world, and so hardship comes from that perspective. Hardship comes in our faith when we're discouraged or depressed or sad or lonely or mad, and we're, we're, there's tension in relationships here. There's, there's things that we struggle with as, as individuals and between individuals, and, and we're not exempt from that hardship either. We're also not exempt from the hardship of being called crazy for believing that God created things. We're not exempt from the hardship of believing that a man rose from the dead. And he's going to forgive us for our sins if we surrender our lives and follow him forever. Crazy. My favorite argument for why Jesus didn't rise from the dead is because people don't rise from the dead. It's just, I'm like, oh, well then it it must not be true that it happened even though he did it. And kind of, that's the whole point of this is that he did what was impossible for anybody else to do and demonstrated his authority over death and shame and he authority in his authority over not just death, but over life that all authority belongs to him on heaven and on earth and all things exist for him and through him and by him. That's the whole point of this is that it is impossible for everyone, but Jesus. And that's why I follow Jesus. If anybody else did it, I'd have to like wrestle with it. Well, do I follow Jesus or do I follow this other person who raised himself from the dead? Because it's impossible. I want to follow the person who did what's impossible. I want to, uh, I'll, I'll land here in just a second. But the soldier's ready to go. He's endure, he's ready to endure because he's been prepping. He's trained for this time. His heart is prepared for the battle. And our hearts need to be prepared for the battle of suffering in one regard to another. You will experience hardship and suffering in your life. And we need to be prepared from it, not feel exempted from it. Because if we feel somehow that giving our, our life to Jesus means that we're exempted from it, we'll never, we'll, never, we'll never experience the goodness of God in it the way that he expects us to, desires for us to be able to. Pain, the pain problem is something that, that people talk a lot about. But it's not always been the case that people have used pain to prove the non-existence of God. That's a new idea. Like in the last couple hundred years is the only time when people said pain means that God's not real. So if you've ever heard that idea, it's a new idea. Prior to that time, people understood that pain meant that we ought to run to God for safety and security. And so pain isn't, doesn't disprove the existence of God any more than a bad haircut disproves the existence of good barbers. It proves that we need the thing that seems to be lacking in that moment. If we respond to difficulty and suffering by accusing God, then we curse the very person who is able and intends to comfort us through the difficulty that we find ourselves in. And therefore, we miss out on the opportunity that God is giving us to grow in grace and power and freedom that he intends for us to walk in. If we're going to be disciples, we need to be people who take the Great Commission seriously. We need to be people who are going to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. And sometimes he's going to lead us away from things and out of things. He always leads us into new things. And as we follow him, we need to find fellowship with believers. And we need to begin to enjoy one another. And the friends that you have might not be the friends that you wanted. But they're going to be better than you ever expected. And then we need to be faithful to fish for other people. That looks like 
in our everyday life, positioning ourselves well on purpose, making sure that we place ourselves in the presence of God and that we follow him wherever he leads us. It means that we need to be intentional about having people who can speak into our lives, that we have people who can testify about the goodness of God in our lives as peers, and that we have people that we're sharing the love of God with as we do this, and then we need to persevere together. The beautiful thing about this perseverance is that it's not alone. It's going to be with everybody else. God is not calling us to a lone ranger faith. He's calling us to a together faith. And that's what we're being invited into. And this is what God promises to empower us to be able to walk in. This isn't a to-do list. I didn't give you a whole bunch of things that you have to do today or God's going to smite you. Okay, I want to make sure that we don't hear it this way. I was talking to Megan last night. I said, how can we make sure that people don't hear this and go, man, I'm, I'm struggling with my kids. I'm struggling in my job. And now David's giving me these things that I got to do if God's going to find me pleasing and acceptable. So now God won't even accept me. So now church is hard. Work is hard. Family's hard. Is anything for the love of God? It can something not be hard? Because if you think that this is, if you miss the point of this, then you'll think that it's too hard and you'll quit on not just the mission, but you'll quit on God himself. And so I want to submit to you that, that this is not a checklist of things to do. It's not an obligation that needs to be met to be more pleasing to God. But this is what you were created for. This is why all the talents you have and all the giftings that you have and all the training that you've received for your job, the reason you are where you are, how you are, is so that you can do this. This is an as-you-go kind of thing. I wasn't saying you got to schedule six hours of meetings a week. I wasn't saying you got to schedule one hours of meetings a week. I'm saying as you walk to the water cooler, it's just having a relationship with somebody and sharing in the intimacies of Christ. Reggie, you can come up or I'll never stop. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, this is not a burden. Can, can, Can we do like a, can we do a poll? Are we free enough to do a poll? How many of you feel burdened to do what I said? Like bur- like in a bad way. You're like, oh, that's too many things. We're not really free. I know more people than... <laughs> thank you for... Te- thank you. We got two people telling the truth. It, did it not feel hard for you? Did it feel like a responsibility? I just feel like God wants to... I feel like God needs... I'm sitting here and I'm like, we got to get this. If we don't get this, then we miss it. Can, can you pray with me? I just want to pray that God would release that burden and the weight of having to do this. And he would give, he would stir in us an anticipation for the privilege of doing it. Does that make sense? And I'm not just changing the words to make it inspiring. What I'm asking is for the Holy Spirit to light something inside of your soul that you're like, oh, wait a second. This is what I'm here to do.